Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. Sugar is here, the both of us, speaking straight into your ears. I'm Cheryl Strayed. I'm Steve Almond. This is Dear Sugar Radio. Oh, dear song, won't you please share some little sweet days with me? Hi, Steve. Hi, Cheryl. Here we are, part two of our end-of-year episode. Yes. This is like the uh, the letter writers, not revenge exactly, but they have their say. And That's their right. say is so voluminous that we wanted to really give that its due. And, uh, you know, our, our inbox overfloweth with really fascinating, interesting responses to um, any of the approximately 40 episodes we did last year. And one of the series that got the most response and the most vociferous response was Looking for the One. When we set out last year to do a Looking for the One series, we thought we were saying, okay, people who are looking for love, looking for that one partner. Mm-hmm. And what we found when we really looked more closely at our letters is that they were all from women, which I thought was really interesting because mm-hmm. I think there are plenty of men out there looking for love. But we got lots of letters from women saying, will I ever find love? And so we decided to kind of undertake it from a few different angles. Part one, two, three. That's right. And in the first episode, we talked to the wonderful Lena Dunham. um, And it was really an attempt to sort of frame the issue more broadly. Actually, let's she speaks more eloquently on her behalf than I can. So let's hear a little bit of what she had to say. I think one of the issues with the way we talk about singledom is that we think about it almost like a statistical problem. Like we have one woman looking for one man and how is this all going to work? And it's interesting because in our culture, we've accounted for so many different ways of living life, yet we haven't let go of this idea that you're supposed to move through the world hand in hand with a monogamous romantic partner. So that's awesome. But the second episode and the third episode are the places where we got the most response. In yeah. the second episode, as you will recall, we talked to the very charming Paul Oyer, Stanford economist who wrote this book that was essentially saying, in the aggregate, here are your odds in the dating world and making some very stark conclusions about what men look for in a partner, heterosexual partner, versus what women look for. And it was quite dispiriting to a lot of our listeners. And to us, too. I mean, I, w- I have to say, I was 
really disturbed by what he had to say. And in so many ways, I, I agreed with one of the sort of big pieces of feedback we got about that is, you know, he said, listen, what men are looking for is like basically a young, beautiful woman. And what women are looking for is a, is an older man who has financial power mm-hmm. and financial security. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Like nobody I know. That's not true, really. Yes. I mean, there's so many people I know who look for different things. And I, and I think that that, of course, is an incredibly important thing for us to remember as we listen to what Paul Oyer had to say. Yeah, let's, let's listen to a little bit. From a simple supply and demand point of view, women do have something to worry about, and it gets much worse as they age. So when you're in your 20s, and there are just tons of men out there dying to go out with you, you know, it's possible as a woman you could begin to get a little bit um, used to that. Mm-hmm. And the numbers just change dramatically you know, starting really at age 30, but once you've hit age 40, it's just pretty dramatic. Now, you'll recall that uh, Paul Boyer was responding to a a letter from a woman who identified herself as scared of scarcity. Uh, But one of the most interesting pieces of feedback we got in response wasn't to do with what Oyer had to say specifically. It was more fundamentally how we'd framed the issue. A woman who called herself thirsty framed it this way. She said, Steve, you expressed a little bit of exclamation that scared of scarcity hadn't dated anyone seriously in seven years. But to that, I'd say, hey, neither have I. And I'm perfectly willing to settle. I am not picky. And my shitty exes can back me up on that. I love that. It's awesome. I think a lot of us out there are not picky. And I'd like you to refrain from thinking that we're all looking for one person who is magical and amazing and handsome and rich and kind and compassionate. We're smart enough to know that one person doesn't exist, and we're not necessarily looking for someone who checks every box. I'm just looking for someone who checks maybe half the boxes. Hmm. That, it felt to me like, is one of those examples where she's just sort of putting us in check a little bit, me specifically, and saying, stop framing it as the one looking for the one. Yeah. So there was also, as you'll recall, a a third episode that we did that was about sort of uh, spinsterhood isn't the right way to say it, but we talked to the wonderful author Kate Bolick. Who wrote a book called Spinster. So I I mean, she's redefining that that term Mm -hmm. as we've previously known it to be. And essentially trying to talk about women taking ownership of their lives and not um, sort of defining success or failure on the basis of whether they're partnered or not. But we got a whole bunch of interesting notes in response to this. One was from a woman named Darcy. And again, she really called us out in a way that I just applaud because I think it's a sharp point that I hadn't seen before she made it. She says, in part, you're usually so good at validating the feelings and then encouraging self-efficacy in dealing with them. But with this topic, you guys tried to cheer us up by showing us how great a different path was. Having two married people and a woman who's chosen to be unpartnered cheerlead for this path missed the point. Nowhere in the series did you feature a woman who was actually unwillingly alone. Is that reality too bleak? Ugh. I mean, that was one of those questions, Cheryl, where I was like, yeah. okay, you got me, right? It was a yeah. dart to the heart. Like, okay, there is something in even the anxiety that we're sensing in the letters and our desire, our anxiety, in a sense, to answer those letters in a satisfactory way that was trying to not ignore, but in some ways put a salve over the experience right. that many women have of being unhappily 
alone mm-hmm. and isolated and feeling that they cannot find somebody with whom they can make a happy life together. It doesn't have to be the A one, just one, as Thirsty says, who checks half the boxes. Yeah. And, you know, along those same lines, a couple of listeners pointed out there was one point in the conversation where Kate and I were, were discussing the way that she writes about spinsterhood mm-hmm. in one passage of her book. She was saying, hey, this isn't Spencerhood isn't necessarily the state of being coupled or not coupled. It's the state of being an independent agent in your own life and mm-hmm. the person that's sort of driving force behind your own life. And I sort of glibly said what she's alluded to in her book is that there can be such a thing as a married spinster. And I got some emails from people who didn't like that. And I get it. And I apologize for that. I, I wasn't trying to claim a kind of position that I don't have. I, I understand that I... It's a lot easier for me, somebody who's happily coupled, right. to be sort of looking over the fence at uncoupled women and say, no, it's really just about being independent. You're okay. Right. And I get it. I, I, I apologize. I shouldn't have said that I was a married spinster. I'm a married woman. And I am independent. And I have a lot of things in common with those sisters mm-hmm. of mine who have independent and uh, but you also you know, have lives. A, but I'm yeah. also, I also have a partner. And a great partner. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we're, as do I, and, and we're lucky in that sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, another thing that we overlooked in our sort of desire to be like, it's okay if you're single, you know, you can still be happy and, right. and independent and have a great life. I thought was really expressed very well in this letter from a woman who signs herself Gentle Reminder. Dear Sugars, as one of those perpetually single people, I enjoyed listening to your series on Looking for the One. I'm turning 30 this year and have been most single for all of my 20s. That's in part because I've chosen to pursue adventures that pushed finding the one towards the back of my list of priorities. I've done and seen things that few others in the world can say they have done and seen, and I'm immensely grateful for those opportunities. But you know what I can honestly say has been missing, particularly for someone at my age with my young and healthy and hormonal body? Mm -hmm. Sex. Yes. I think it's interesting that Dear Sugar Radio put out three episodes on singledom without once mentioning the word sex. I think it speaks to how people who have never experienced a prolonged dry spell don't quite get the implications of life without a partner. Of course, there is casual sex, friends with benefit scenarios, and one-night stands. But personally, the sex I've had in those situations has never been as good as the sex I've had with someone I loved, or at least cared for deeply. Also, I think a lot of people were probably listening to those three episodes thinking, yeah, you can totally craft a great single life for yourself, but damn, I really miss good sex. I hope that doesn't sound flip, because a life without sex, or without enough sex, or good enough sex is a real lack for many people. Signed, gentle reminder. And, you know, that put me to mind on this idea that we need to talk about sex. I mean, I know we talk about sex a lot in sort of peripheral, sex is part of so much of what we talk about. But we're going to do some future episodes on sex, gentle reminder. And, And I'm going to take your request to heart. You know, let's take up the issue of sex. What do you do if you don't have a partner? What do you do if your celibacy isn't a chosen one and yet you find yourself in that situation. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that at a future episode. Now, we should mention, amidst all these bleak dispatches, that there were some updates from the actual letter writers who we addressed, yeah. and they uh, were a little bit more sanguine, I'd say. So we should hear some of those. So you might remember really one of the best signatures we've ever had, lonely Buddhist fly fisherman. Mm-hmm. She was a 37-year-old woman who had dated intentionally, randomly, digitally, organically, but still hadn't found the one. She wonders if she'll ever find love or if she was being too picky. These are the questions she was asking us. And she wondered if she should settle on someone or if she should just accept her spinsterhood. Here's her update. Dear Sugars, 
I met someone special soon after submitting my letter to Dear Sugar Radio. We're still dating, though I'm not yet sure if he's my one. I really enjoyed all three episodes in your series. Something that struck me was a discussion that Cheryl, Steve, and Kate Bullock had about how marriage isn't the cure for loneliness, and that it can in fact sometimes open a portal to a different sort of loneliness. It's oddly comforting to know that even women with loving partners and kids appear to have it all, it doesn't necessarily mean they're actually happier. We all struggle with aspects of loneliness, no matter our relationship status. Signed, Not As Lonely Buddhist Fly Fisher. We also heard from a woman who signed herself Central Sadness. She described herself as a 37-year-old, successful, fit, and socially and civically active woman with great friends. But she realized that the central sadness in her life was that she didn't have a partner. Mm -hmm. She wrote, for so many men, I'm too tall, too educated, too accomplished, too old, too something. I'm so tired of being single in a world full of couples and families. Mm -hmm. Here's her update. Dear Sugars, thank you for your series on single women. I'm dismayed that there are so many of us, but honored by the care with which you addressed our fears, sorrows, and longing. Your empathy and encouragement to reach into my spinsterhood and claim it were wise words. The very act of writing you forced a reckoning in me. Would I ever find love? Would I ever be a mother? I had tried to embrace singleness and had read Kate Bullock's book, but it wasn't enough for me. I wanted more love in my life. And thus I embarked upon a year of exploring how to have a family of my own. I was poked and prodded for fertility assessments. I pored over men's online profiles, this time not for dating, but for a sperm donor. I gave myself shots, emptied my bank account, and cut out happy hour drinks. I became pregnant on my first round of IVF, defying all the odds at my age. And now, sugars, I'm so thrilled to tell you I'm writing while holding my beautiful three-week-old baby girl. She's absolutely gorgeous and perfect in every way. I hold her in the wee hours of the night, and even in my tired, sleep-deprived new mom state, I'm overwhelmed by how she's expanded my life. I still long for a partner. In the first days after she was born, I grieved again that this parenthood voyage doesn't have a co-captain. In the months and years ahead, I do hope to date again and to continue my quest for a partner. But even the idea of dating feels different now, less pressure-filled without the biological clock ticking away. I'm 38, and I'm ready for this next adventure. Thank you for listening to all the single women. I hope that others have found their path and guidance through it as well. May love find us all. Signed, Central Sadness turn to joy oh my gracious what a beautiful beautiful, yeah that's just beautiful may love wow what a congratulations central sadness turn to joy you know i think this is such a great example of what at least i'm always trying to espouse here on the show or to to help people find and that is like okay what do you really want what what central sadness thought she wanted was a boyfriend right? Mm-hmm. Somebody who she could love and love back. And she didn't get that. Like, it, it's not fair and we don't know why, but it just wasn't coming to her at this moment of her life. So she took a step back and went deeper. What can I get? How can I get more love in my life? Mm-hmm. I want to be a mother. I'm going to become a mother. I'm not going to wait around for the guy to come. That's right. And in a way, it's kind of a, uh, I mean, it's just a startling sort of lesson of like, look, if you identify what you want and go for it, everything else tends to work itself out. Right. She feels much less urgency about, you know, the sort of the dream of finding the guy. I may love find us all. I love it. I love it. Okay, Steve, moving right along. Let's talk about some listeners might remember we actually called this letter writer who called herself Jealous Ex-Girlfriend. And she was in the midst of a very tragic situation. Mm -hmm. Her ex-boyfriend 
had died very suddenly, and she was grieving his loss while also feeling a lot of conflict about the fact that he had begun dating another woman in the months before he died. And she felt that in some ways she had sort of been replaced at the funeral or that, you know, as the mm-hmm. she didn't have the position of the girlfriend. She was the jealous ex-girlfriend. We called her, talked to her. We counseled her in many ways. But one of the pieces of, of advice we gave her is to reach out to this other girlfriend. Right. They were both, after all, grieving the same man. So she sent us an update letter. Will you read it? I will. Dear Sugars, one year later, I'm definitely in a better place over my ex-boyfriend's death, but the healing process is far from over for me. When I wrote my letter, only a couple of weeks had passed since his death. It was overwhelming to process my feelings of grief about his loss, while at the same time dealing with low self-esteem and feelings of anger that had come to the surface during our breakup. I still feel waves of grief over his death, often unpredictably, but I'm also moving forward with my life, as we do. I did take your advice and reached out to the woman he had seen shortly before his death in the way you suggested. To be honest, extending kindness toward her didn't really feel genuine to me, although I wanted to will it into truth. She responded with a very kind message. She even said that she was sure that my pain was deeper than many who knew him because he was my, quote, partner and companion, which really was exactly the type of validation I was needing from others at the time. Since then, we've seen each other a few times in group settings, but we haven't really connected. I do think our exchange helped me. Mm. I'm not sure that it cured me of the negative feelings I have towards her, though I am sure they'd have been worse if it hadn't happened. I still feel irritated toward her or as though I have to compete with her to prove myself as better in some way. I know that's unfair, and I don't like seeing this side of myself, especially as a strongly identified feminist, but don't know how to stop it. It feels like some sort of primal biological urge that I can't control. I very much appreciate the work that you all do. Sincerely, A. 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 Mm. Well, I commend you for reaching out to her. I know that this woman who was dating your ex-boyfriend at the time of his death is really a challenging figure for you. And and I think it's important to remember that it's, uh, it's a process and your feelings about him and about her will change over time. But I'm, I'm glad at least the two of you, you know, you've exchanged kind words and she offered you some comfort and acknowledged you in ways you hoped others would and that yeah. she that she would be the person to do that is pretty remarkable. So I wish you well. So we also received a letter some time back. Uh, people will remember this was a single letter episode because the letter itself was really complicated to try to answer and, and quite painful. Um, this was from a woman who identified herself as survivor, lover, and feminist. And it was written actually quite freshly in the wake of what was called in the media the Stanford rape case, this case in which a student at Stanford was uh, accused and eventually convicted of raping an unconscious woman. And this created a a complicated situation in the life of our letter writer, which is that her boyfriend uh, admitted to her that he had raped an unconscious woman when he was a teenager. And as a survivor of sexual assault herself, survivor, lover, and feminist, was deeply hurt and torn about whether or not to stay with her boyfriend. Right. And, And a lot of their conflict, in fact, this revelation rose out of her anger about that case. He was a young, a young white man of relative economic privilege, that he was not being punished in, in measure, in equal measure to um, 
to others, let's just say. So why don't you read this follow-up letter? I mean, both of us, obviously, we're trying to answer an incredibly, with the help of the wonderful Roxane Gay, this incredibly complex question, yes. which is, is it possible as the survivor of sexual assault to somehow, and a feminist, importantly, find forgiveness for and continue a relationship with uh, a lover who has just admitted to you that he, as a teenager, raped an unconscious girl. Yeah, and and she had pointed out that her lover was, in every other way, a wonderful, compassionate, good man. Right. Here's her update. Dear Sugars, thanks so much for your words. I decided to stay with my boyfriend, which I think you knew I wanted to do. We're in therapy together, and I feel like this is the right thing for me. I'm not justifying what my boyfriend did, but I also know he's a good person. No one is 100% anything, and I trust that he's honest with me. Like you said, what he did carries such a stigma, but it's also a common thing. We all probably know rapists. We just don't know we know them. I know who I'm with, good and bad. I fight hard for women, against rape culture, against toxic masculinity to make the world better, but I'm still with my partner, and I'm still a good person. I think he is too, and I love him. And I tell him, I can feel my feelings and think my thoughts. I can be pissed and still love him. Therapy has been great for us, and this experience has strangely helped us reach a place of radical honesty in our relationship. I had said before that I was frustrated that he wasn't understanding my concerns and feelings about this, but recently we had a moment of clarity, and he finally got how shitty I'd been feeling, and we cried together. I hope my experience encourages anyone out there who is majorly fucked up to own it, to be radically honest, to change their paths. For those who find themselves on the end I was on, do what feels right to you and honor your truth and never be afraid to reach out to others. Thanks again, Sugars. Survivor, lover, feminist. I love that. She's right on it. I I encourage anyone who is majorly fucked up to own up to it. Mm -hmm. It is possible to be pissed and still love somebody. You you can tell that she and this guy are actively working on it. And we all the time are sort of exhorting people like, you got big, complicated stuff going on. Don't ignore it. That will never work. Yeah. I love also that statement. No one is 100% anything. Boy, do we know that on Dear Sugar Radio. Mm -hmm. No marriage, no professional life, no friendship, no human is 100% any one thing. Mm -hmm. Because what we were looking at is somebody who, on one hand, was, according to our letter writer, really a good man and a wonderful partner and a wonderful friend and lover, and also somebody who committed a serious sex crime in his past. And Mm -hmm. these are are, um, not things to brush under the rug. These are things to bring into the light. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. 
but pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so another multiple part series we did this past year is one on weddings. We get Mm -hmm. a lot of questions from people who are struggling with some aspect of planning a wedding or doing the right thing around weddings. What we realize, you know, in in looking over the letters in our inbox about weddings is they're from everybody in every possible range of issues. Somebody's cousin, the guest list, the seating range. It is just a magnet for anxiety. One of the most interesting letters that we got was from Single and Sacramento. You'll remember that this was a woman whose feelings were hurt after her soon-to-be-married friend wrote her a well-intentioned but sort of questionably worded thank-you note that said, among other things, that, you know, she understood how hard it is to be single. And single in Sacramento found herself furious that her friend, essentially, she felt was sort of saying farewell from the well-appointed decks of the soon-to-be-married. Oh, well, must be hard to be single. And, and one thing I do remember, too, about that, that letter, it wasn't just about weddings. It was also about just what happens when we send emails around such important occasions that are so, you know, steeped with projection and emotion. And mm-hmm. and this was, I think, one of those questions that you and I didn't quite perceive the same way. I, I remember thinking, well, I didn't, I didn't take that email the same way the letter writer did. I didn't think it was inherently insulting. So let's listen back to the email, the thank you email that Single in Sacramento had received from her friend. Right. Thank you so much for the sweet gift. I used to hate giving wedding gifts when I was single. I thought it was the most infuriating thing, because I always thought being single is so hard that it should be the other way around, as anyone should be getting a gift just for surviving being single. I will put that money towards my cat sitting and consider it a gift from one kitty lover to another to make sure my little sweetheart is taken care of. I'll also accept the gift with the idea that you will not be single much longer and that the right person for you who will appreciate your vivacious personality and all of your talents, is about to enter your life soon. Okay, now, Steve, Single in Sacramento sent us an update. What happened with that friendship? Will you read that letter? Mm -hmm, I sure will. Dear Sugars, in the time since my bride-to-be friend sent that email, I'd basically stopped communicating with her. A few months after the wedding, she sent me a print thank you note written in a similar vein. She also called me a few times, but I sent her calls to voicemail. But after listening to the Sugar's response to my letter, I decided it was time to reach out to my friend. On New Year's Eve, I posted a Facebook status saying that although 2016 was a terrible year in many ways, it had a couple of big bright spots personally, the two highlights being that I got an exciting new job that came with a big promotion, and I fell in love. The friend in question commented on my status that this was, quote, the best announcement of 2016 and that she wanted to meet the mystery man. For whatever reason, I blame the tequila I was drinking, I was triggered by her comment, though it registered in my tequila-filled brain as being excitement about my love life. Instead of sharing that excitement and messaging her to tell her all about my new wonderful boyfriend, I decided to pick a fight. I sent her a Facebook private message, my first communication with her in almost a year and a half, with nothing but the link to the Dear Sugar Radio podcast episode that featured my letter. Wow, 
That's one way to mm-hmm. let her know. After she listened, she wrote me the following via messenger. All right, you said in good. I think I said the wrong things, mm. but it was meant so sincerely because being alone was so hard for me. I'm glad you told me, but I feel like such a fuck-up and horrible friend. I wish I just would have said thanks for the gift and I miss you a lot. I just wanted to put my heart out, and obviously that wasn't appropriate. I feel so bad. Hmm. We ended the conversation by promising to talk soon. I appreciate your thoughts as it led me to being upfront with my friend when likely I would have otherwise continued to ignore her. Happy 2017. No longer single in Sacramento. How fascinating. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that we could assist in this friendship mending. You know, my general feeling is like, People aren't talking enough face-to-face. We're using too much of the email and the social media, and it's too easy for that to be misinterpreted. And in some ways, as you were saying at the top, this is part of the problem that they ran into. But in an interesting way, we were able to sort of take apart that email a little bit and what some of the motives might have been and, you know, what the dynamics were around this. And what's most impressive here is that the friend didn't front about it and say, what are you talking about? I'm just happy for you. Yeah. you know, She said, okay, I get it. I, I see that. And I'm so delighted that both of them have, uh, you know, are, are clearly doing great in their lives. A new job, a big promotion. This woman's in a happy relationship. It's all terrific. Yeah. Now and just I love, get off of social media. I, I think so often people are trying to make a connection. And they say too much when all they should have said is, as she, as she you know, later uh, figured that out, thanks for the gift and I miss you a lot. I mean, this is the model of how you really apologize. Not, I'm sorry your feelings were yeah. hurt, but I was trying to do one thing and I did it badly and it hurt your feelings and I'm sorry I yeah. did that. I should have done it another way. That's a real apology. It and is. it allows you to then let go of the rancor and then start the relationship again. Mm-hmm. Okay, another letter that I was really personally curious about, like what would happen next, mm-hmm. is we got a letter from a woman who called herself Out of Ideas. She and her girlfriend had recently decided to get married, and she wasn't sure whether or not to invite her parents to the wedding, or at least they had been talking about getting married, and mm-hmm. she wasn't sure whether to invite the parents. Her mom had been verbally abusive to her after she'd come out, and was unbelievably rude and disrespectful at her sister's wedding because she didn't approve of the guy she was marrying. So this mother had a track record of being (laughs) a wedding nuisance. Yes. This was a letter about what do you do about that troublesome, those troublesome family members um, on that that special day. And so I've just been dying to know, like, what did Out of Ideas do? We offered her counsel back on on that, you know, part one of that wedding drama. I'm curious how that drama turned out. Why don't we give her a call? And and we should mention that it won't come as any great surprise. We both were pretty firmly on the side of... Do not include oh, yes. a hostile person, even yeah. if she's your mother. Well, let's see what happened. Let's do it. Hello, this is Kasha. Hi, Kasha. This is Cheryl Strait. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. Steve Allman is also on the line. Hello. Hi. So we <laughs> nice were just... to hear from you both. Oh, thank you. It's nice to hear your voice. <laughs> We were just discussing your dilemma that you'd written to us. We're doing a little year in review, and we wanted to get an update from you about what's transpired since then. Well, I don't have much in the form of an update because I haven't had my wedding yet, and I haven't proposed to my girlfriend yet, but I can say that I'm a much 
stronger person after hearing your responses to my letter. And it's just like you said, it's quite simple what I should do in the future to not invite my mom to my wedding. Mm-hmm. It sort of begs the question, though, uh, what's your timetable here in terms of engagement, wedding, all that stuff? Well, it's funny you ask because I have a favor to ask of both of you. <laughs> I would like to propose it to my girlfriend today. Oh, <laughs> okay. How long have you guys been together? Two years. Two years. Wow. So, and when you'd written to us, you guys had talked about getting married in the future, but just you hadn't actually officially become engaged. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, we we had many conversations where we would talk about the W, which you know is short for wedding. Um, that's, <laughs> that's a happy W. Yeah, saying the whole word. Within a month or so of meeting, we both felt really strongly about each other, and it's always been on our minds. So what are you proposing, madame? Yes, what are you proposing to us? (laughs) (laughs) If you could help me by giving her a call, and I'll do the rest, I guess. Okay, so you're going to stay on the line, and we're going to call her. What's her name? Oh, God, I oh, love it. Allison. 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 And you're Kasha. Okay. So, Kasha, you just stay there, but you're going to be quiet, right? Like, should we should we call her and be like, does she have any idea we're going to call her? She knows. Somebody's calling, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm excited to talk to her. Okay. Well, wait a second. We got we to gotta work up a plausible, you know, we're not just calling from the Census Bureau. We got we to gotta work can up we a little say, story here. Can we say who we are and that you want to talk to her? Yeah, I think that will work. Is that what you'd like? Well, we, we, we want to do this right. You guys. We want to do this right. You only get to propose once on, on an obscure podcast. <laughs> and this is I mean, our that first, only happens this once. This is our first uh, wedding <laughs> yeah, proposal well, on I the do, podcast. I do have something that I prepared today. Oh, okay. okay, okay. Hold on the line, Kasha. We're going to call Allison. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm getting all nervous. <laughs> Me too. Oh, my palms are again. sweaty. Oh, my gracious. All right. Okay. Yeah, I guess Kasha's <laughs> maybe a little more nervous than us. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's call Allison. Hello? Hello, is this Allison? Yes. Hi, Hi, Allison. This is Cheryl Strayed. Hi. I've got Steve Allman, my co-host of Dear Sugar Radio podcast on the line. Hi, Allison. Hi. Have you listened to our podcast before? Yes, yes, many times. So we understand that your girlfriend wrote to us a letter last year, and we answered it on the podcast. It was a sort of hypothetical wedding should she invite her unsupportive mother to the wedding and we answered it we were just curious like what's happened since then and what you made of our advice and all of that stuff so it was quite amazing to hear her letter on the radio and your your response i was very impressed with her for writing to you guys and glad that she found some affirmation in what you said well, we were very happy that uh, we were able to give her some clarity on that. But there is one thing uh, that seems like it's still sort of unresolved. Uh, and so uh, we actually wanted to, Allison, if it's all right, bring Kasha into the conversation. I'm here. Sure. <laughs> Hello. Uh, my dear Allison, you know very well that before I met you, I wasn't sure that I would be able to open my heart to someone again. You have taught me how to trust again. 
from the moment I met you, you exuded this incredible sense of calm, warmth, and thoughtfulness. I feel such a deep and soulful bond with you, and I can't imagine my life without you. I choose you. I choose you to be my partner through this unpredictable but beautiful life. So will you be mine? Will you marry me? Uh, yes. <laughs> That's a good answer. Oh, my gracious. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations, you two. Oh, my. Thank you so much. I think that maybe we might want to exit from the experience that they, I think, are quite well equipped to continue now. <laughs> they might be wanting some privacy. Well, I just want to say before we go, thank you again, both of you, for your time and attention to my letter and for making today possible. It's very meaningful to share this moment with you. Oh, thank you so much. Congratulations to both of you. Gosh, congratulations. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. We wish you many, many, many years of happiness and love. Mazel tov. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye-bye. Holy smokes. (laughs) That was fun. History is made on Dear Sugar Radio, Steve. Gosh, you wrote this beautiful, eloquent, you know, mm. piece of writing, and you could just hear that she's just putting it all on the line. And I, I was like, can I say yes? Can we somehow <laughs> be involved in this compact that's happening here? Oh, that's so, I'm, you know, that's such a, such a sweet, sweet experience. I, I feel privileged that we were part of it. Absolutely. So this brings us to the end of our end of the year episodes, part two. We're not going to hear anyone else's proposals. No that's more. it. Uh, that's it. <laughs> and we hope that you enjoyed looking back with us. It, it really is, I think, an important thing to do, an important practice for me, certainly, in this role of, you know, doling out advice to all of these, all of you wonderful listeners who write to us. I have to say, as we've said many times over and over in our conversation, we're exploring things. We're not always feeling like we have the answer. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, we feel definitive mm-hmm. about our answers, but usually we're delving. Mm-hmm. We're delving into all of the mysteries of life and love and loss that you and I are ourselves contending with. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being part of that conversation with us listeners. Absolutely. Dear Sugar Radio is produced by WBUR in Boston. We're produced and edited by Amory Sievertson. We're recording at Talkback Sound and Visual in Portland, Oregon. Josh Millman is our wonderful engineer. Our theme music is by the Portland band Wonderly. Vocals by Liz Weiss. Subscribe to Dear Sugar on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dear Sugar Radio and write to us at DearSugarRadio at gmail.com. <laughs>